Good morning. It's nice not having that headset on. We've gone to a new mic that doesn't have to be wrapped around you. So in my absence the last couple weeks, we've had some technology improvements, and we've also had some technology challenges. So as most of you who've been here a while know, I preach using slide decks. And as you can see, we don't have any. But the chaplain email is in the bulletin, so if you want my slide for us, to be chasing around a two-year-old at our age, and that's not for us. But we enjoyed the visit and had a good time. We also were able to see Carrie's mom and stepdad from Port Charlotte who were able to join us in Oklahoma. But now we're back, and we're not going to be going very far for the summer because of the work that we have at the hospital. So as we look at this passage here, I want to start with a thought. And I had a picture in my slide deck that I'm not, not able to show you. It's a picture of where Carrie and I started in ministry back in 1991. Back in August of 1991, Carrie and I moved from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in Sault Ste. Marie, where we kind of were for a year, year and a half, doing placeholder work to try to save some money. And we went to a seminary that had started in the Northeast. It was called Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary, based out of Memphis, Tennessee. But in the late 80s, they started a branch campus in the Northeast in Albany, Schenectady, New York. So Carrie and I were there for four years, from 1991 to 95, the same time that Eric, I believe, was at West Point, if I'm not mistaken. But on the William and uh, Helen Gurley building outside of the Northeast Branch campus, you have on, on one side a picture of the seminary and its emblem, which is talking about the light of the gospel. But as you go into the building, you see another placard which has the verse that we're going to be looking at today, Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. The end of that verse says in the old King James Version that in all things he might have the preeminence. And I've lost track with some of the people that I used to go to seminary with, and even most of the professors that were there, only a couple of them that I had are still with the seminary now. And it's hard to believe how fast the time goes by. But the school was founded on the principle that in all things, Jesus Christ might have the preeminence. And the emblem of the alma mater theme song is that we're to go to all the world because to all the world for Jesus' sake, where bodies hurt and sad hearts ache, lift high the cross, his love proclaim, Mid America, bear his name. And I've never forgot that song, even to this day, because that song is tied to this idea that Jesus Christ should have the preeminence in all things. And back in the early 1990s, that was the fire that was burning within me and within Carrie as well as we moved to upstate New York to have that fire of sharing the gospel with as many people as we possibly could and putting Jesus Christ on the throne. So I thought I'd share that with you to kind of give you an idea where we started 26 years ago. Now turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 15. We're told, he, that's referring to Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
that in everything he might be preeminent. And that's the key thought from this passage. In everything, Jesus Christ might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So again, there are two main themes that are foundational doctrine to the concept of Jesus Christ being preeminent. This was probably an early hymn to Christ that was in the first century church. The two themes that are in this hymn, this, this passage that Paul gives to the church at Colossae, is that Christ is preeminent over creation, the physical creation, the physical universe, verses 15 through 17. And then secondly, Christ is preeminent concerning our redemption, which I could also term the recreation of the universe, verses 18 through 22. And then we'll look in verse 23 to kind of wrap things up about the hope of the gospel that is within each one of us who know Christ as our Savior. So going back to verse 15, and looking at verses 15 through 17, there are about four quick thoughts that I have from what Paul writes here from this hymn to Christ about Jesus Christ himself being preeminent over creation. First of all, you notice in verse 15, it says that he has rank over all things in creation. Jesus Christ has rank over all things in creation. And there are two aspects of that. First of all, he is the image of the invisible God. And we're going to get into this more heavily as we get into chapter 2, when we look at the concept of Jesus Christ being God in the flesh. And we also can look back to John chapter 1 to kind of give us a cross-reference. Remember in John chapter 1, verse 1, we're told, in the beginning was the Word, that's referring to Jesus Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made, because in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then John goes on through verse 14 in that prologue of his gospel to present Jesus Christ as the very Son of God, God in the flesh. But Paul says that as well here in verse 15, and then in chapter 2 we're going to look at that issue of the deity of Christ in a little bit more detail. But he is the re representation of God. And then it says, firstborn of all creation. That means that Jesus Christ has highest rank over all of the created universe. Now, I know that there are some, especially the Jehovah's Witnesses in their New World Translation of the Scripture, that try to make this sound as though Jesus Christ is just a created being like any one of us. And there was a controversy in the early church known as the Arian Controversy in which there was a group of people established by a man named Arius who taught a doctrine saying that Jesus Christ was just another in the created order. That's not what this is talking about. The word in the Greek that is translated firstborn in most of our English Bibles is translated in the Greek Septuagint over 130 times, and it refers to Jesus Christ having priority and rank. 
It's not talking about the fact that he was created just like the rest of us, but that he was created first, or that there's something special about the way he was created. It's talking about the fact that he has rank, he has priority, temporal priority, as well as other priorities over each one of those in the created universe. And if you want to settle the score even further, just understand that as we go on through verses 16 and 17, it says that he is the one who is the agent of creation. So it wouldn't make any sense for the agent of creation to be a part of the creation itself. Jesus Christ is over creation. He is rank above all things that have been created because of the fact that that word indicates that he's above them in priority, but also because of the fact in verse 16, it says all things were created by Jesus Christ. All things were created by him. And that's what John chapter 1 says. All things were created by him. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, how do we put that into context? And how do we kind of put that together? It's very difficult in today's secular world for us to think of the concept of Jesus Christ being the creator of the universe. During our trip to Oklahoma, Carrie and I and our son Brad and his fiance and Carrie's mom and stepdad got to go to the Natural History Museum at the University of Oklahoma, which is a beautiful, massive structure. And I had no idea that uh, one of the world's largest dinosaur exhibits is contained in the Natural History Museum at the University of Oklahoma. Because when I think of Oklahoma, I think it's the deep south Bible Belt. But we go into this museum, and they have a huge exhibit, not only with the dinosaurs, but also they have an astrophysical uh, section of that museum in which they talk about the creation of the universe by the natural processes of four and a half to five billion years of evolution. And then they go from there into looking at how the dinosaurs developed and how they became extinct, and then how man came from all of these processes that took many billions of years through their interpretation of the fossil record. And I know that there are Christians of different stripes on the whole issue of whether the earth is a young earth as possibly interpreted from Genesis chapter 1, or whether God just set certain processes in motion that he was in total control, and that it actually did take many hundreds of millions or billions of years. But the one thing I noticed as we went through that exhibit was there was no context. It was just basically that we are here today because of a process of time plus chance plus all of the scientific laws that were just set in motion billions of years ago. And so there was no room in that interpretation of the fossil record or that interpretation of astronomy or physics for God or for Jesus Christ. So whatever your persuasion is concerning the complicated issues that result from interpreting the book of Genesis, just understand that to be a Bible-believing Christian, you have to have this one essential ingredient. That is that you must believe that Jesus Christ is very God, and that Jesus Christ is the reason that we are here today. Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. And it says here that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, not only in the visible universe, but also in the invisible universe. And that's a very profound thought, to think that the, the Son of God who would die on the cross for our sins was also the creator of everything that we see today, and everything that we do not see, because it is at such a microscopic level. 
It's amazing to think about that. But the reason for that is because at the end of verse 16, we're told that he is also the purpose of creation. So it makes sense that Jesus Christ would be the creator because everything in creation was created and designed to give honor and glory to him. So regardless of what scientific theory you hold concerning the evolution and creation debate, just understand that the purpose of the creation of the entire universe was to bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And back in chapter 1 of the book of Romans, we're told how naturalistic man responds to this idea of Jesus Christ being the creator of all things and being the purpose of all things. Beginning in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, we're told, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. So what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 1 is that natural-minded people who reject the notion that Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe are without excuse because everything that we see in our world today points itself towards the idea of not only God creator, creator in a generic sense, but also Jesus Christ as creator in a specific sense. Jesus Christ, who is the purpose of creation and who is the sustainer of all creation. We're told this in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, concerning Jesus Christ holding all things together, concerning him being the sustainer of creation. Quoting from Psalm 102, the author of Hebrews says, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And, of course, we're told in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, this, uh, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus Christ has rank over creation. Jesus Christ is the creator of everything in the physical and the invisible universe. He is the purpose of creation, and he is the sustainer of creation. And the reason for all of that and the reason why that is important is because Jesus Christ is preeminent concerning the recreation as well, which is defined by the redemption that he offers to us. And there are several things here in verses 18 through 22 that are, again, foundational doctrinal truth that as we get into chapters 2 and 3 are going to be very important. First of all, I just want to mention briefly that it says in verse 18 at the beginning that he is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the church. And that means that regardless of where you go to church or whether you go to a military chapel, wherever you go, the pastor or the chaplain or the deacons or the trustees or whoever else might be physically responsible for the church, they're not in charge of the church because Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And we're told in passages like Ephesians chapter 5 that in a marriage relationship that Jesus Christ is supposed to be the head. And then that relationship between a man and a woman, Jesus Christ needs to be that third person because he is the head. So that concept of headship needs to be so 
indwelled and ingrained with us that we understand that every part of the reason for Chapel Next existence is so that we might bring glory to him because he is the head. And if Jesus Christ is not the head of the church, then why should we even exist in the first place? Secondly, in verse 18, he goes from that thought to saying that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead beforehand, before us, because he is the firstborn from the dead, because he has preceded us in resurrection, we too have hope of eternal life. We too have hope for resurrection. That's where that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 comes into view, where we're told that Jesus Christ has overcome sin, he's overcome death, and he's overcome the grave. And because of that, we know that we have hope for eternal life. And that should be a source of tremendous comfort during these uncertain and dangerous times that we live in, because we know that Jesus Christ is indeed risen from the dead. Like Eric said at the beginning of the service, the reason we're here is because of the fact that Jesus Christ rose again. So if Jesus Christ did not rise again, we're the most miserable of all people because we believe a lie and we follow somebody who's either a liar or a lunatic, as Lee Strobel said. But he is also preeminent in all things. Verse 18, part C. Jesus Christ is to be preeminent in all things. And so, ask yourself this question as you, as you go through your week. Is Jesus Christ first in my life? How many of you guys have ever seen those bumper stickers that say, God is my co-pilot? How many of you guys have ever seen that? When I saw that bumper sticker for the first time, I thought, yeah, that means something good because it means that God has a place in your life. But if God is the co-pilot, then that means that you're the pilot, right? That means you're ultimately in charge. That means ultimately that Christ is there only maybe as a crutch when you need him, when things are going bad for you. Or maybe Christ is there for you only when it's convenient because you want to have life to the fullest and live the American dream, and you want to do things that are comfortable and convenient, but if Jesus Christ can be on the sideline a little bit, and then you can put him in around the edges, that's fine. But you don't want to make him preeminent. You don't want to make him first so that everything that you do, every aspect of your life lines up with his will. Have you ever thought of that as a challenge, to make every aspect of your life align with the will of God because of the fact that Jesus Christ is going to be preeminent in those areas. As a military chaplain, I have to ask that question from time to time. Is Jesus Christ on the throne or is my career on the throne? If Jesus Christ is on the throne, then I will not put my career as a chaplain, I will not put my promotion as an officer above knowing that I need to be a soldier of the cross first before a soldier of Uncle Sam. And we all need to make those tough choices from time to time. So again, is Jesus Christ preeminent in your life, or is he just getting the leftovers? There's some other things here that I'm going to wrap up with. Verse 19 is a recitation of the first part of verse 15. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And we'll get into that a little bit further in chapter 2. So Jesus Christ is very God in the flesh. And because he was very God in the flesh, he had the authority to bring reconciliation 
and redemption to us. And he did that through the shedding of his blood, which Paul talks about here in verse 20. Through him, that means he's the agent of the reconciliation. Have you ever thought of the profound thought that Jesus Christ is the agent of the created universe, going back to the beginning, but he's also the agent of the reconciliation, which is the reconciliation, the recreation of those of us who are in Jesus Christ. The rebirth, as somebody put it to me this week, somebody who shared with me that they were just born again within the last couple of years, mentioned to me that they never accepted Jesus Christ into their life and they'd never been reborn. Well, Jesus Christ is that agent of reconciliation, the one who restores their relationship with God through his blood. And because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can have hope for eternal life, but not just that. We can have hope for an abundant life while we're here right now. So Jesus Christ is the one who has reconciled us to God, and he's the one who has created us all the way back in the beginning. Just notice what Paul says here. He says that we were alienated, we were hostile, we were doing evil deeds. That means that mankind, apart from Jesus Christ, is separated from God. That means that mankind, apart from God, can do nothing to earn righteous standing or favor with God. All those people who say that they're going to get into the presence of God one day and that God is just going to look at their life like it's on a, a set of balances and if my good outweighs the bad, he's going to allow me into heaven. This section of scripture says that's not the way it works. The way it works is that Jesus Christ has reconciled us and the reason he's reconciled us is so that we might bring glory to him. You notice, he says that the church is to be holy and blameless. The bride of Christ is to be a bride that honors its Lord. And so, if Christ is not preeminent in our individual lives, and if Christ is not preeminent in chapel next, then all these other things that he talks about are really meaningless. So that's the challenge that I have for you today. And I'm going to wrap up by looking very briefly at verse 23. Verse 23, he tells us, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The reason why all this theology can have any meaning to us in the first place is because we have the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dr. John Piper puts it this way. He says this. He says, Paul refers in Colossians 1.23 to the hope of the gospel. And there is no sweeter message of hope in all the world than to hear God announce that when you get up in the morning, miserable and depressed, with a sense of guilt and estrangement before a holy God, you can go to bed that very night, this very night, with a quiet and peaceful heart, knowing that every sin you have ever committed and ever will commit is forgiven, and that you are reconciled to the Almighty by the death of his Son. That's the free offer of the gospel. And if you've never accepted the free offer of the gospel, I challenge you to consider it today. If you've accepted that offer of the gospel and you've put Jesus Christ into your life through receiving him as your Lord and Savior, I challenge you to just do some spiritual inventory right now and ask yourself, is Jesus Christ preeminent in my life, or is Jesus Christ after my career? Is Jesus Christ after money? Is Jesus Christ after popularity? Is Jesus Christ 
after sports? Is Jesus Christ after anything else that takes away from the glory that he is due? So as the musicians get ready to come up and sing our final chorus, again, I want you to be challenged by the last part of verse 18, that in everything he might be preeminent and that you have the hope of the gospel dwelling within you each and every moment of your day. Father God, we thank you for this glimpse into this very powerful passage in Colossians chapter 1. I pray, Lord, that we would just recognize that Jesus Christ not only is the creator of the physical universe, but he's the sustainer, and he's the one who's reconciled us to a right relationship with God through the shedding of his blood, and he is the one who upholds us each and every day. May he be preeminent in all things. In Christ's name we pray, amen.